Well, it's hard to believe that we are still in the Christmas season. So it is the season to be jolly. Who said tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la? I didn't hear you respond. Let's try that again. It is the season to be jolly. Oh, you just wrecked that song. I used to like that song. Well, Christmas has come and the celebrations and hopefully the turkey is finished. Hopefully. It's not just the Lord's love that endures forever. Sometimes a turkey seems to endure forever, doesn't it? And it keeps reinventing itself over this period in all kinds of dishes and ways. (laughs) And then you vow you will never eat it again till next year and we do the whole thing all over again. Have we got any turkey fans here? I don't mean the nation, I mean the bird. Is there any turkey fans here? Oh, you're miserable, aren't you, this morning? A bit miserable. Well, you know, it has come and it's, it's finished, but it's not over. Because the message of Christmas is a consistent reality for the Christian. It's the message of hope and joy. It's a message that's so full of expectation. It's a message that stirs our hearts to greater levels of faith. And the message of Christmas is simply this that God's kindness has turned up in the midst of our chaos. And it's such a powerful message. This morning we're gonna focus around that thought and just draw our minds and our hearts into alignment with the reality that God in his great kindness has sent us Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, the world can be transformed. If you have a Bible with you this morning, we're gonna read from Titus chapter three. I encourage you to turn there if you can with me. And we're going to read verses 3 through to 8. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now if you were to write some kind of um, critique on the state of the world, Would you, like me, be able to identify with those realities? The world in which we're living in is clearly in chaos. As we watch the unfolding narrative of the elections, we realized it was very difficult for us to truly discern what was good news or even fake news. As you take a step back from the busyness of Christmas and look at the very difficult things that people are facing in this world, it would be very true for us to say that this is a time of chaos, a time where chaos seems to be prevalent and indeed seems to be consistent. In fact, in the 58 years that I've existed, I recall times in my childhood where national disasters or catastrophes happened occasionally. They seem to have an accelerated reality, and I know that's probably because we have more awareness of them than we ever have, but it seems to me that we are moving towards more and more difficult times, that the world in which God has placed us is in many ways moving towards his return. I am not paralyzed by the difficulties I see on the news. I'm energized by the hope that I have in my heart that Christ is nearer than he's ever been. He's the hope of glory after all, isn't he? And so in the midst of the story, we have to lift our voices and lift our hearts and lift our eyes away from some of the chaos and find hope and find connection with the God of hope because without that, we will too, like other people, just be caught up in mayhem. 
but this particular sentence in Titus just describes the world in which we're living in. And in fact, it was the very same whenever Jesus turned up, the world was in chaos. For those who were born Jews, they were enslaved and they were trapped in the regime of the Roman Empire. And up to nearly 60% of everything they earned had to be handed over in taxes to the Roman Empire. They were criticized, marginalized, and indeed persecuted for their faith. And so Jesus turns up in the midst of the chaos. That's the good news of Christmas. Our God, in the midst of chaos, turns up with kindness. And you know, I want to say this to you as you step towards this new decade. That's going to be a consistent theme throughout the 10 years that lie ahead of us and beyond. We are going to need to have a greater clarity that God has turned up in our world. And he's rewriting the story of individual hearts and families and lives and communities because kindness has a redemptive quality. We'll come to that in just a moment. Look at verse four with me. So in this context, Titus writes that chaos was prevalent. People were full of passion and pleasure, malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But then hope begins to stir. But when the kindness and the love of our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. When God chose to invade the chaotic world, he chose to model kindness as a means of transforming everything around it. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but kindness seems to have a bad press today. You know, if you're kind, you're considered to be weak. If you're kind, you're considered to be crazy in London. If you get up off your chair and let someone sit down on a bus or indeed a tube, people think you've just come out for the day from someplace because that just doesn't happen. I find that when I talk to people, they take a step back. It's taken me over a year to figure out that people are a little bit suspicious in the city of London. Would that be fair? If you're talking to somebody, you're either lost or you're crazy. Those appear to be the only two options. Kindness does not seem to prevail in the mindsets and the hearts and the lives of people. And when it's demonstrated, people are highly suspicious. When we first moved over from North Somerset, we used to do a foolish thing. It's a foolish, foolish thing. We used to let cars come out at junctions. I discovered I could have been there for a week some days. People did not understand what was happening. And I realized as I was trying to demonstrate kindness, I was indeed causing chaos for the people behind me. Because not only did the people look confused who were being led out of the junction, but the people behind me thought I'd been led out of some asylum. The world we're living in is chaotic and God, in his great wisdom, decided not to send greatness into the world as we would perceive it, but he sent kindness the kindness of God, and through his kindness our Savior appeared. And look what it accomplishes beyond our capacity to fully understand. Kindness saved us. Amen. Amen. It saved us, and can I just suggest, church, it still is saving us. Do you know that you're living today under the auspices and the mantle and the, and the, the kindness of God? God is really kind. Not somebody and say, I think you need to hear that today. You may have forgotten that. God is really kind. Now the world is chaotic, but God is kind. 
Has God been kind to you in 2019? Of course he has. He's always kind. He's always kind because he's the kindest person you'll ever meet. Amen. And in his kindness, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that kindness not only saves you, but it transforms you? God's kindness is transforming your internal world until it reflects his character and his nature. God's at work today, kindly working with you, kindly working on you, and many occasions, kindly working for you, in all manner of ways to bring you back to the person you were always intended to be. God has a redemptive purpose in kindness. It brought new birth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by grace, we might become, might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Do you know that in Titus' writing here, there's a connection between doing what is good and the kindness invasion of God? In fact, Titus is saying, as you have experienced kindness, therefore go and demonstrate it. Be generous to one another. Be caring for one another. Look after the people around you. One of my favorite sayings in the New Testament comes out of Jesus' great high priestly prayer at the end of his life. And he uses this phrase, Father, I have taken care of those that you have given me. You see, in all of our lives, we have a spectrum of influence. And in that influence, God is calling us, in his kindness, in his capacity to invade our lives with kindness, to affect the world around us with the very same kindness. And kindness is redemptive for you personally, but it can be redempted for us corporately. Kindness can change a community. It can transform a family. It can renew all manner of things in relationships. We'll come to that a little later, but it's not just a nice thing that God has done. It's a powerful thing that God is doing. God in his kindness has invaded our chaos and he is making all things new. And this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in the Lord may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now that's a very interesting phrase that Titus is using. Could it possibly be that he's saying, if you want the world to change, step into the kindness of God. Let the kindness of God invade every part of your being and then walk out into the world around you and release that kindness over all people. Could it be that the answer to transforming London or even Great Britain or even the nations is not as we presume it would be? Could it actually be kindness that invades continents and countries and communities and families? Could kindness be the means and the, and the way by which God allows his transforming power to be modeled and demonstrated in the world around us. Now when Titus uses the word kindness here, what he's talking about is something more than a feeling. He's saying, I've had an epiphany. Has anybody had an epiphany recently? Do you know what an epiphany is? Just a moment of clarity. Just a beholding moment. 
And Titus is saying, it's suddenly become apparent to me. In other words, God has turned up in his kindness and I'm catching up in my brokenness trying to understand the power of what he is doing. I am beholding him in his kindness so that I may become like him in kindness also. And he's not talking about an emotion. He's talking about the kind of kindness that awakens the world around it to something new. Kindness that awakens people to possibilities. Kindness that awakens the redemptive power of God to restore all things. Now when you and I think about what could change the world or make a difference, we tend to grasp for greatness. God, make me great. Now some of you have been praying those prayers for a long, long time. How are we doing? And is indeed God's purpose to make you great. Because the great I am only has great children. Amen. God wants you to be great. God wants you to be great in life and love and devotion and passion and purpose. God is desirous for you to be great. But actually in human form, we tend to grasp for greatness. There's very few people I know that have set their hearts towards fully embracing his kindness. And I wonder if we're missing something strategic in God's transforming power. So that first Christmas, kindness was sent into chaos. In fact, I would be as bold to say that God has considered kindness to be the very antidote to the chaos that's in our world. You see, we often think in times that are tough or rough or difficult that kindness isn't enough, that it somehow appears to be inferior, but God sees things differently. For the dark days that we're in, for the discord that we consistently have, his redemptive kindness is what we need to change the culture of the world around us. It turns our restlessness into a place of peace. It turns our weariness into a place of wonder. God is saying the only thing you truly need is to have a revelation of my kindness and your whole world will begin to change. But can I ask you this question? Do you, like me, have a couple of kindness killers in your life? Because I think under the surface we all desire to be kinder and particularly at this time of year. I've seen some of you get up and let others pass you to find a better seat. That's very kind of you, thank you very much. Yes, I've seen others in this room look out for people who are not around on a regular basis and inquire and ask, is so-and-so doing okay? That's kind, isn't it? I think underneath the chaos in all of our lives is a real appetite to be kinder. In fact, when we're kinder, we feel more alive. Isn't that the truth? It's more blessed to give. Some of you are still grappling with that scripture, aren't you? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But in our culture and in our lives, we have a whole bunch of kindness killers. And one of them, I think, is hurry. I think we're so busy doing nothing, working the whole day through, trying to find lots of things not to do. We're busy going nowhere, isn't it just a crime? I'd like to be unhappy, I simply don't have the time. Have you watched Snow White recently? Clearly not. We're rushing everywhere. Now right in the middle of this kindness invasion, which Christmas is all about, 
Do you not find that you get busier? Does your life not become a little bit more fractured than it usually is? Are you rushing here and going there and trying to resolve this problem or buy that present? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in one of the department stores looking for a hugely expensive present for my wife. If she's watching online, a hugely <laughs> expensive present for my wife. Please pray for Jane, she's not too well today. No, she's not that bad, she's not dead, she's just not very well. <laughs> and the queue, well, to say I waited 10 minutes would be an understatement. Now, I don't know how you, in a moment like that, navigate your world, but I have an acute sense of injustice. And there's always somebody up front who brings a return, isn't there? Praise the Lord. You get into the shortest queue and you're there the longest time. Because this, do not be fooled by the short queue. There is no shortcut to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and I'm standing in this queue which was about seven or eight people long. I looked at the bags, I weigh it all up, I check out the people. If there's any kids involved, I move to the next line because I know that that can be complicated. Okay, and it looked to me like we were on a winner and about two people in front of me, a lady does a return. And she picks this bag from, I don't know where she kept this bag, okay, but she had 15 things that she wanted to return. And it's always the case, isn't it, that when that happens, one of them doesn't have a label on it. Okay, so they have to call somebody on the Tana, you have to wait for the person to come from the third heaven. And eventually the supervisor turns up and they do the transaction, but the woman in front of me, between me and the lady with the, with the returns, was furious. I mean, she was furious. I mean, she was so furious, she couldn't hold it in. She complained to everybody in the queue, everybody around the queue, anybody who would listen. She was just so furious because she was going somewhere and she needed to get there quickly. And then you can imagine, as it became her time, to come to the girl who was doing her best, she let it rip. I mean, it felt to me like hell had turned up in the meeting. It was, she burnt, singed that young lady's face with the wrath of her waiting. And I'm standing there, I'm supposedly a Christian, I'm a little irritated myself. You know how it is, your sanctification gets tested in moments like that, doesn't it? You know you're saved, but you're not quite sanctified. Hello? Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and I, I, I arrive at the counter and I'm about to, to kind of vent my frustration and then I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, be kind, Simon, be kind. And so I just said to her, I think you're doing an amazing job. <laughs> you're doing an amazing job. And she looked at me, I think she had tears in her eyes, either that or she had the flu. And she said to me, oh, it's just the holidays. It's just the season. But you know, my heart was grieved because I thought this season that we're all involved in is about kindness. It's about God's goodness. It's about mercy. It's about hope. It's about joy. Obviously, some of you didn't get the memo. But that's what this is about. And I, as a Christian, stood in a moment and I thought, God, just teach me how to walk in kindness. To be merciful in moments like that demonstrates the kindness of God. And hurry is a real kindness killer, isn't it? 
When you're rushing somewhere and you're trying to get somewhere and you're trying to get something done, it's very difficult to step towards kindness because kindness takes a little bit more energy and a little bit more time. And if you're distracted by all that you're doing, then you'll find it difficult to be kind. But you know, God has created you to be kind. Your truest identity is not wearisome. It's not cynicism. It's not disappointment. It's not disillusionment. That's the default of sin in our world. But our real truest identity is to walk in the generosity of the kindness of God and to display that to the world around us. We want to be kind and we try to be kind, but we seem to drift away from it, don't we? Do you ever think I'll try and be kind here and then by the time you get to the moment, kindness seems to have evaporated and you're in frustration or you're in a sense of injustice? You know, I a couple of years ago said to the Lord, Lord, I don't mind, I don't mind suffering for Jesus' sake. I think in every situation I found myself in, I was suffering and it wasn't for Jesus' sake. I, was, I went through a season of road rage. Have you ever had that condition? Please don't lie, you're in church. You know? Every little journey I took started to, to, to draw out of me this terrible part of my nature where I was utterly frustrated. I was trying to get somewhere on time and trying to get to something that I promised I'd be at and before I knew where I was, I don't know if the angels left the car or the Holy Spirit decided I'm out, but something had happened inside of me and my heart would just become enraged. But I said, God, I don't mind suffering for you. God, I don't mind suffering for you. You see, I don't think that God in his wisdom was trying to make life difficult for me, but he was testing my resolve in the whole area of wanting to be like him. Now, how about this for an invitation? Not to a day, which is Christmas, but to a way of life. How about this, that God is inviting us as a people, as a community, as his family, to model kindness to the world around us. Now, go back to verse three for me, because this is where kindness is meant to turn up. Verse three says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And right in the midst of our relationships, God invades our world with kindness. Do you know that when I experience the kindness of God, I'm a much better husband? When I experience the kindness of God, I'm a much better father. When I experience the kindness of God, I'm a much better Christian. I need to, to behold who he is so that I can become who I'm called to be. I need God to show me over and over and over again just how kind he is. And he wasn't just kind on the day that I offered him my life. In fact, the day I offered him my life was the beginning of an adventure where I would discover how high and wide and deep and long the kindness and the love of God truly is. God is profoundly kind. That does not make him weak. That makes him powerful. That makes him able to transform our internal world and to indeed affect the relationships of the people we have in our lives. Kindness needs to turn up in my marriage. Now some of you are wanting breakthrough in your marriage, 
My hope is that after today you'll say, God, just put kindness in my heart. Here's what kindness does. It moves me away from justifying that I'm right and it causes me to live the right way. Kindness shifts my mind away from being the one who has to make the effort to the place where I recognize that God is at work in me and God is doing something so deep and profound in me that it would be a sin for me not to offer it to somebody around me. Kindness profoundly transforms my thinking and opens my eyes to see people differently. It moves me past my humanity and it causes me to step towards his glory. Kindness is a gateway into the affection of another heart. It opens up possibilities and dreams and capacities in people that my words or my clever pontifications could never do. And I've said over and over again that if kindness can lead me to repentance, then maybe if I'm kind to somebody else there will be a collective repentance in that relationship kindness is powerful and potent and sadly for many of us it's something of a distant memory or it feels a little bit twee or a little bit nice we're not talking about niceness we're talking about the redemptive power of kindness to transform you to save you to renew you to restore you to fill you with hope and joy and peace everlasting life just brimming up out of your soul and then you give that away to another person because you cannot stay in unforgiveness because you have been saturated, marinated in the kindness of God. When the kindness of God turns up in a marriage, things become powerful and they become potent. And this year, you're praying for breakthrough in your marriage. I ask you this evening, this evening it feels like a long day, I ask you this morning that you would ask the Lord to revisit you with his kindness. As he revisits you with his kindness, then you will start to live in relationship with other people in such a powerful way that your relationships will come alive. In verse 4 it says, The kindness of the love of God our Savior appeared, and it had the power to save us. Kindness and the word rescue are often put together in the Bible. And the reason for that is that God sees kindness as his rescue package for the world in which he's placed us. And Titus is simply saying to us that kindness will lead you to a restored connection. And indeed it does. God's kindness has brought you back into relationship with him. Amen. God has been really kind to you. Really, really kind to you. He has given you a gift you don't deserve. Amen. While you were still yet a sinner, God in his kindness sent Jesus Christ to die for you. All that separation anxiety where you've been trying to prove to the world your value and your worth. In a moment when you receive the kindness of God and the salvation work of Jesus, you start to know who you are and you start to recognize why you're here. Kindness has the power to restore your connection with God. God in his infinite wisdom did not send power into the world. Of course Jesus is powerful. But he sent kindness into the world to restore the human condition to relationship with him. And if that's how we entered into relationship, I believe it's how we should live in relationship. I believe we should be living in the kindness of God on a daily basis. 
I believe we should be asking God for greater measures of understanding of his kindness and his heart for humanity. In fact, if you ever do a study on the Father heart of God, you will recognize that right at the center of that study is the kindness of a father who delights to give good gifts to children who really don't deserve them. God doesn't just reward what we do, he rewards what Jesus has done. God gives to you what you could never earn yourself through righteous acts or works because there is only one who is righteous. He has chosen to give you the most glorious gift of kindness and you and I today are saved not because of us but because of the kindness of God. Godness in his infinite wisdom sent Jesus Christ into our broken world so that our broken lives could be restored and it's all through his kindness. That connection has been restored through Jesus Christ. And you see, if it's kindness that led me to repentance, which the book of Romans tells me is the gateway, then repentance is more than just a change of mind. It's a transformed life. God wants to transform my life. And Christmas offers us a chance to reset that button, to come back to some things that somehow and all kinds of ways have got lost along our journey. If kindness interrupted the chaos and brought you to a reconnection with God and kindness has a redemptive quality and power to restore all things to you through the Spirit of God, then actually we need to be as connected to the kindness of God as is possible. Why? Because kindness reawakens hope. When God touches your heart, have you ever noticed it's always merciful how he does so? I know some people think that God is really hard and difficult and all of those kind of things. I have never found him to be that. I've always found God to be kind. God has been kind to me over and over again. In fact, sometimes I wish he would be a little bit harder. You see, because then I could think I could do something to qualify or quantify his kindness. But actually, he will never allow me to step towards religion, not whenever his preferred way of meeting with me is through kindness. Why would God want me to be religious when everything I've been given, I've been given because of Jesus Christ? I don't need to be religious. I have a gift. God has given me a gift, amen? God has given me salvation. His kindness started the conversation and his kindness will keep the journey alive. It's important for us, therefore, to stay connected and to stay awakened to that kindness because when we live like that, we have hope. And I believe that it's vital for the church of the future to have a robust hope. You need hope. And not hope in that one day God in some way will do something, but hope that turns up in your family. Home that turns up in your community. Hope that turns up in your devotional life. Sometimes I listen to people's prayers and I think they're hopeless prayers. It's like God is uninterested or disconnected from them. Do you know when we talk to the Lord, every resource of heaven becomes available. God delights to give good gifts to his children. We have to come to him with expectancy and joy because he's joyous and full of generosity to pour out his blessings upon our lives. Kindness offers me a fresh perspective on some situations. I need kindness for the years that lie ahead. You know, if the world is gonna become more chaotic, then I need an upgraded mindset. I need God to invade my mind with his kindness so that I can live out of a sense of expectancy and faith. I need God to do something profound in my mind, don't you? Let me tell you a little story of how kindness can change a person's life. When we were pastoring in the church in Bristol, 
We kind of wanted to ask the Lord a little bit about how we connect people to him. You know, we're living in an age, and it seems to be increasingly so, where people seem a little bit disinterested in church. Have you noticed that? You know, you try and invite people along to things, and whereas maybe 20, 30 years ago they'd come out of curiosity, they've already made up their minds about God because the PR of the devil in the world has presented the church as irrelevant or powerless or weak or insipid or, or just a, you know, a bless me club that doesn't have any great sense of purpose or connection to the world around us. And so we were praying earnestly and we're asking God, what can we do to connect people to you? We have been the benefactors of your love. We have been overwhelmed by your grace. Your mercy has invaded every part of our lives. But God, how do we reach the people around us? And God began to speak. And this is what he told us to do. He said, demonstrate kindness and people will come into an awareness of the goodness of God. So we deliberated and had more prayer meetings and decided what we would do. And we decided that we would try and make kindness something that the church had a culture of. And therefore, when we went beyond the building, it turned up in the marketplace. Well, you know, that was a bit of a journey for people because people wanted God to be kind to them, but they're not always sure how to be kind to other people. And if you've been hurt by people around you, that makes that even more problematic. But actually, if God is kind and we desire to be like him, we had to do the work in our own souls so that he could work through us in the world around us. And here's one thing that I did that I didn't talk about at the time, but I believed it was God's invitation to me and it in fact was something of a bit of a problem to me because it's not my natural disposition. God said to me, go to the Clifton Bridge, which is a part of Bristol, and you can't get to or from the city from that particular direction unless you come via the Clifton Bridge. And I want you to pay for every car or lorry or whatever that's going across that bridge for one hour every other day of the week. One hour. Now, you know, at the beginning of that invitation, I thought that sounded fairly easy until I realized how many cars and lorries crossed the Clifton Bridge. And then, and then I had a problem with that because, you know, the actual bucket that you put the, the fee in is like, it's, it only takes pound coins. So I'd have to go with bags of pound coins. And I did that for a month. I didn't speak to anyone in the church about it because we were trying to move towards invading our community with kindness. And I wanted to test what I felt the Spirit was saying to me before we started to, to, to bring it to the church's attention. Well, you know, those were very interesting days. They were interesting on two accounts. One is the stretch for me. Because, you know, it would cost something like 50 pounds every time I did this, or maybe more some days. And it was a stretch for me. How many of us found 50 pounds a stretch? You know, and, and, and in many ways, people weren't that sure what was going on. That was another stretch. So here's how we did it. Often people would come backwards and forwards on the bridge and uh, I would have my little bags of coins and when they, you know what ladies are like, they never take their handbag out to the very last second. You know what that's like, girls? I don't know who you think's gonna take it from you, but you're in the car, you're gonna be okay. Okay, and, and, and people would be rummaging for a pound coin and they're as rare as hen's teeth, aren't they? You know hens don't have teeth, don't you? you know. Okay, and, and so I would just turn up and put the coin and try and walk away. And of course, you could imagine the people, they weren't sure what was going on. People would wind up their window because they thought I was crazy. And, and God said to me, I don't want you to leave anything to do with the church or anything to do. I just want you to demonstrate kindness. 
do you know, for the month that I did that, it cost quite significant amounts of money. Um, I, I was so aware of how difficult it is for people to receive kindness. People really struggle with kindness. They struggle with it because it does something in them they don't know what to do with. When somebody's genuinely kind and there's no agenda other than just being kind, people are confused. They even became hostile. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I've just paid for you to cross the bridge. <laughs> you know, I'm not asking for a Christmas card or anything here, but you know, kindness really disrupts some things. It disrupts cynicism. It disrupts a sense of, of having to live in a defensive manner in the world in which we are placed. Kindness confuses people. They don't know what to do when you're kind. They don't know how to respond. They don't know whether to thank you or curse you. They are so suspicious that you're after something, they're almost hanging, waiting for the next sentence to come. Oh, that's why. Cynicism is destroyed through kindness. But you know, over that month, people who repeatedly came across the bridge, I would get to see regularly, okay? And God started to do something in hearts and in lives through simple acts of kindness that, in my opinion, were absolutely mind-blowing because I never imagined they would affect people so powerfully. Kindness changes hearts. It moves the human soul at such a deep level that people are so impacted by it, they don't know what to do with it. And it tells me something. It tells me that the world we're living in is so chaotic that the only possible way we can reach some people is not through the things we think work, but actually through the thing that definitely works, which is the kindness of God turning up in various environments. If you, who have been transformed by kindness, renewed by kindness, restored and connected to God through kindness, have valued that kindness, then let that kindness through you begin to connect other people to the God that you love and delight in. Little acts of kindness change the world. Here's why, because the Holy Spirit, without the words that we so often feel we need to communicate, takes a moment to touch a heart in a way that has transformative power. God, through kindness, has brought many people into his kingdom. Out of that, we moved into all kinds of demonstrations of kindness. We decided that we would adopt the blocks of flats at the back of the church. Now, we'd had so many problems with the people who lived in the flats because they didn't like the noise and they complained and all kinds of things. You know that that sometimes happens when you're in an inner city area. I think if you've been out till four in the morning and the worship team starts at 7.30, they're not your greatest friend, are they? Do you know what I'm saying? So, so we decided that we would turn up with kindness. And we sent the men out and they started to clean some of the lobby areas of these flats and they're not often the nicest places, are they? All kinds of things happen in the lobby areas, particularly if you're drunk and you're on way home and you can't find the lift. Okay, so we went out on a regular basis and our kindness or the kindness of God through little acts began to transform things. People would be open. They would ask questions. They were interested. You see, we turned up not with words, but with the power and the demonstration of the gospel. And the power and the demonstration of the gospel wasn't the big stuff that we thought would make a difference, but actually it was the small things that changed everything for people. 
Do you know, out of that season, many people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Who'd have thought that cleaning the lobby of a, of a, a run-down block of flats could lead people to Jesus Christ? Another lady in the church decided she would make cakes for people. Now, I tasted her cakes, and I recommended that she didn't. I mean, there was so much sugar in them, you'd have diabetes after you've had two slices. Okay, but she started to make cakes for people. And, and of course, you know, people are highly suspicious. I mean, it's one thing cleaning the lobby of, of but when you turn up with food, anything could be in it. So I, we'd go out a couple of times with them, just trying to keep this thing alive in the church. And I, I discovered that people would be looking at the cake, they'd pick it up, they'd sniff it, they'd put it back down. Okay, they'd break a tiny bit off the end, which wouldn't kill them, obviously. <laughs> they'd taste it. If they had anyone with them, they'd offer it to somebody before they ate it themselves. <laughs> they didn't know what to do with the cake. So what we used to do is we used to have a little piece ourselves in front of them <laughs> to reassure them that it didn't have poison in it. We weren't peddling cocaine, it was icing sugar on the top of the cake, okay? And we weren't up to any trick with them. Now, do you know, over time, that lady in the church, her cake ministry, her cake ministry, did you know there was such a thing? It was so anointed by God that she would sit with people who were housebound and, and had you know, single parents and she would just bring a cake occasionally to them and she'd sit and she'd have a coffee she led so many people into the arms of Jesus through little random acts of kindness. Who would have thought a cake would change a life? But it's not the physical thing. It's the spiritual thing that happens. Kindness is effective with people. Whether you're cleaning the streets in your neighborhood, offering somebody a chair on the tube, whether you're letting somebody overtake you in the motorway without shaking your fist and shouting at them, or you're just paying attention to the people around you who perhaps are not necessarily able to function that well. Every time you step towards kindness, you demonstrate the heart of Father. You demonstrate the kind heart of Father God. And there's something about that that is unnerving to the world around us, but it's actually really rewarding. About last week, Jane and I were a little bit eBay fanatics and we bought a cupboard off eBay. Have you ever bought anything off eBay? I have a real problem with this because I never look at the location, <laughs> okay? Somehow in my excitement over the cupboard, I forgot that it was like a hundred and something miles away. So we drive all the way up to a place called Blackburn, up near Manchester, to pick up this cupboard. It was a great bargain. Well, it started out as being a great bargain, but the time you paid for the petrol and everything else, and then of course you need something to eat, don't you? We would have bought something cheaper in the local store, to be fair. But actually, when we get there, I was surprised that the cupboard was so nice for the money. And I said to the gentleman who, who was like a little factory unit, I said, why are you selling this cupboard? And he said, oh, I, I, he, he used to spray cupboards. He said, I sprayed this for my wife and she didn't like the color and you know, we've changed everything in the interior of the kitchen and all that kind of stuff and she said, it's no use to us. And I said, wow, you've done an amazing job. So we're trying to lift this thing into the back of the van and uh, I'm full of the cold, so I'm coughing and wheezing and sniffing. And he says, oh, you don't seem very well. I said, no, I, I'm, you know, I've got a serious condition called man flu. It's really serious. And I said, you seem to be coughing yourself. Do you have 
you know, a, a flu? And he said, no, he said, I've got pneumonia. And, and he said, I've, I've got, um, what's the, the cancer in the blood that you get? Leukemia, sorry, you got leukemia, not pneumonia. And, and I said, gosh, and you're out working? And he said, oh, I've been through so many chemos and so on. And you know, I was so, so blessed to be there. I was so blessed to be there because I believed that somehow in God's providence, he sent us to this little backstreet factory. And I said to him, you know, and Jane's looking at me, I said to him, can I pray for you? He said, if you like. <laughs> I said, I do. I do like. Let's have a go. I said, what have you got to lose? He said, my wallet. I said, well, you can keep your eyes open. And so will I. So this great big burly guy, I said, do you mind if I put my hand on you? He said, hang on. I said, I just want to lay my hand on your shoulder. And we were laughing about it and we prayed for him. And you know, he was going the following day for more chemotherapy. Well, I just prayed my best prayer. I wanted to reflect the goodness of God to a man in his 30s with three children whose whole life had been devastated by cancer. Okay, so I laid my hand on his shoulder and I said, Father, I know you love him. Would you come right now and touch him? Father, would you show him who you truly are? Father, would you let him know that you're bothered by what's bothering him? And will you demonstrate to him, Father, that whatever it is the doctors are saying, you have a greater power over all things because you created his body. You created everybody. And so I opened my eye, because I had one shut and one open, because you have to be careful, don't you? And I saw him crying. Just a tear in his eye, a big burly man. Not even knowing in any way, shape, or form that the Irish fella on the end of the phone looking for the address actually was a messenger from heaven in the midst of a very difficult time in his life just to remind him that God is real, that in the midst of his chaos, kindness turned up. Well, it was the best day. It was the best testimony. I came home. I thought, I'll put it on Facebook. I'll write a blog. I felt God say to me, no, I prefer these things done in private. These things have greater impact when they're done in private. Well, I've just blown the blessing now because I've told you. But... I wonder if God's preferred way of changing London is through random acts of kindness that flow out of the heart of people whose whole souls and being has been marinated and saturated with the kindness of God. I wonder if the people we've been trying to reach are only reached through kindness, not necessarily through some of our religious practices or procedures, but just the very simple, ordinary, yet extraordinary means for the Holy Spirit to affect a human soul. I wonder if this year, God's invitation is not for us to aspire to greater greatness, but actually to come into partnership with him in his kindness. I wonder if we could commit ourselves as a body of people to relentless kindness, to awake every day asking the question of the kind one, God, who do you want me to be kind to today? I wonder if we could be countercultural to a society that's so full of chaos and suspicion. And I wonder if you're brave enough to step towards that invitation as this new decade opens up. 
I wonder what kindness will do in the hearts of the people that you demonstrated to. I wonder how the Holy Spirit will take those random acts of kindness, those little demonstrations of the heart of God, and use them to bring many into relationship with God. I wonder how many lives will be turned back up the right way through the kindness of God's people. I wonder what God will do in the hearts of those that are impacted by your kindness, and indeed what relationships will be restored in those families. I wonder if kindness could turn up on the tube one day and actually revolutionize the way we travel around London. I wonder if we kept kindness at the foresight of all that we do, at the center of all that we are, how many lives would be transformed. And I know it'll be inconvenient, and I know it'll be embarrassing, and I know at times it'll be slightly confusing, because sometimes people don't always say thank you to the wonderful things that you do for them, but I know that kindness impacts hearts and lives. I wonder if it could look like you paying for somebody's meal in a restaurant, or washing somebody's windows for them. It doesn't have to be great or grandiose, Everything you do in service, everything you give to another, you give God the opportunity by the Holy Spirit to impact somebody. I wonder if it could be the cake-making ministry, or indeed just a smile sometimes, or a handshake, or a recognition of somebody that you pass in the street. I wonder if you, like me, believe that kindness could transform everything in its wake, because I have discovered it's transformed everything in my life. And you know what? Kindness is really good for you. In Proverbs 11, verse 17, it says, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin upon their own lives. I wonder if we could live like this. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, in response to all God has done for us, let us outdo each other in being helpful and being kind to one another. There's a little competition for the days that lie ahead. Who can be the kindest person in every situation? I wonder if kindness can heal pain and indeed transform the brokenness of mental illness. I wonder if kindness demonstrates the mercy of God and invites people into the story of Jesus. I wonder if kindness could invade every part of your family, every part of your community, your workplace, the places where people are the most hostile to you. Take out your kindness, brush it down, shine it up and let God's glory hijack it. In Romans 5 verse 20 it says, where sin was powerful and sin is powerful, is it not church? God's kindness was even more powerful. That's the good news of Christmas. That in the chaos of our world, in the brokenness and cynicism and jadedness of society, God sent a message in a messenger of kindness that had redemptive power, transformative power, and began to change everything in your heart and life. You, like me, have much to learn about the nature and the character of God. Sometimes I think being spiritual means I know a lot about some things, but actually it isn't about that at all. Real spirituality is knowing him. It's knowing who God truly is. It's knowing his heart, it's knowing his ways, it's knowing his word, and it's offering my life every single day to the adventure of discovering how wide and high and deep and long this powerful grace and mercy and love and kindness is to me and to the world around me. In an age where chaos reigns, my prayer is that in the 2020s, the church will turn up clothed in kindness, 
resolute in kindness, overwhelmed by the kindness of God, and will begin to impact the world around them for good.